Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast contains some strong language, brutally honest conversation about being fat, and several references to comedian Adam Richard. So best you decide how you feel about all of that before going forward. I was shit for a long time. Right, okay. So I reckon I had three years, four years okay. where I was no good. So I never took anything. Like, I felt like every time someone gave me a spot, it was like, oh, fucking thank you. Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was delusional about the future because I was like, it'll work out. I don't know whether it's going to take 20 years or 30 years, but it'll work out. And this is all you're going to do. So it was delusional because there was no evidence to back that up. But I was re- because I was a comedy fan to begin with, I knew what I was doing wasn't good. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I didn't have that entitlement. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life. And this week, we hear from Sri Lankan Australian comedian Dilruk Jayasena. Dilrick, most commonly known as Dil around the traps, is appearing with increasing frequency on Australian television. He might be best known as Ashan De Silva on ABC TV's Utopia. Utopia, of course, is the latest project from the Working Dog team, who've been at the forefront of smart, beautifully produced comedy since the 80s. They bought us The Castle, The Dish, The Late Show, Frontline, Hollow Men, Thank God you're here and have you been paying attention, just to name a few. Being invited into a Working Dog project is a real honour for any Australian comedian or actor. And we'll definitely talk about that later. But as soon as he sat down, Dill wanted to talk about a topic much more personal and close to home. He wanted to talk to me about something he heard me say in a previous podcast. The one particular that haunted me, something that you said your mum said, that you might finally reach your goal weight three days after you die. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that is striking too close to home. Like, no one's ever put it in those words. But, like, battling yeah. with my weight is something I've had since, you know, since I was nine. And I'm 32 now. And I yeah. and I go in these, these cycles. Like, I don't really get onto a... Um, 
like I just need a intense goal and mm-hmm. then I get it done. Like I've never like every time I set up myself up for a challenge, I've always achieved it. So whether it was just losing a certain amount of kilos or whether it was a triathlon, I did an Olympic distance triathlon. Are one. you serious? Yeah, within over five months training off and I got to 1.5K swim, <gasps> 40K bike ride and then a 10K run. Oh, my God. And that was purely because someone said I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. So, so yeah, I was, I was. I mean, recently I've been trying to like stop going into that mode of you know challenge focused. You know, yes. just trying to get it as a regular thing, as a lifestyle change. They always is, say to us, so, yeah, which is quite difficult. Like again, going back to Adam Richard and I, we've talked about this a lot. Like he he reckons that's his last frontier, the one thing he can't seem to really get across or you know get on top of. Right? Yeah, me too. You know? Yeah, and, and, when you uh, think you're so you think I'm a smart person. I've right. achieved virtually everything I've ever set out to achieve. How am I still fat? Right. Yes. How is exactly. it possible? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that I said this to someone as well. It's almost frustrating because you have knowledge. Like, yes. It's even it feels even more annoying because if I if I was uneducated and dumb and just kept eating, you know, burgers saying, oh, it's got proteins and <laughs> fruit and tomato and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've got all a balanced diet in a burger, then, yeah. you know, I'm you know, ignorance is bliss. But I have the knowledge that if I eat this fried chicken, it's going to undo a lot of my hard work yeah. and yet you still pick the wrong decision, that compulsion to go down the wrong path, that the fact that it's not – because I, I used to drink quite a lot and um, I loved it. Like I, I loved – Beer and, and and spirits, mm. but I loved being maggoted more. Like that was my thing. Yes, yeah. So whereas I got on top of that, like now it's been about a year and a bit now that I've stopped drinking. Wow. And um and and again I go like, see that was f- done. Like you know it was just a snap of the fingers. And I my theory is this that I don't think it's a groundbreaking theory, but I feel like unlike alcohol or drugs or any other kind of vice, food is something you still need even little bits of. Like yes. you can't go cold turkey on a salad. Do yeah, you know what I mean? absolutely. Like you have to have some form. So it's almost like the joke I used to make is that salad's like, you know, the equivalent of a gateway drug. Like you start off <laughs> with some healthy stuff, and, yeah. you know, but it opens up the door. Then you and add all... a ranch dressing. Yes. And suddenly, you yes, know. Yes, a bit of croutons. Yeah, some croutons, yeah. some cheese. Oh, yes, and suddenly, so I might as well put this on a roll. I mean, let's not be idiots. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I might as well put some meat on there. Yeah. And that's a hamburger. Bit, the b- b- bacon bits start falling in. The cheese. Do you want cheese with your Caesar salad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And then just, you want to wrap it in a burrito? You fuck yeah. Yes, I do. And then, you know, you're just a bucket of chicken in. Oh, and annoying, like even literally last oh. night I was just watching a show where KFC was referenced uh, and I was like, oh God, here we go. And then last night, yeah, I had I went to Gammy Chicken and got like a <sighs> thing of fried chicken. It's like I give in to this compulsion knowing it's such a wrong thing. There's does it worry you where that comes from? Because I, I remember yes. seeing this lady on Oprah once who said, if you've got any habit at all that you can't get over, you think mm. you can't, it's because it's serving you in some way. This yes. is her big thing. And of course, Oprah made it about weight. And so this lady said, being overweight is serving you in some way in your deep subconscious right. and you want to stay overweight. And I often think to myself, I must want to for some reason. Totally. Totally, I 100% agree. Uh, I totally, yeah. not, not on a conscious level. No. Because, yeah, because you're, you're smarter than that. Yeah. It's something deeper there. So for me, the uh, the first thing I've tried to fix is um, my show in 2016 was all about my struggle with weight. And I 
wrote some cracking great fat jokes. Yep. And I realized that if I lost weight, I lose 90% of my jokes. Mm. So what's paying my bills and rent is being fat. Mm. And if I am thin, am I still funny? That was a scary realization in the middle of last year. So my challenge for this show that I did the, you know, the last uh, tour, this last first few festivals was no fat jokes. Yeah. Uh, one snuck in. It was just too <laughs> perfect to not, it was, it was just too perfect uh, to not have it. It was about being on Tinder and how I, my first picture was uh, me in a a pool without a shirt on and it just my whole profile just said my passion is fitness and healthy living. <laughs> <laughs> so I just couldn't again it's a true story as well so I was like yeah. okay that's my one fat joke I'll allow for the whole show mm. but the rest was nothing to do with being overweight so I kind of got over that ang- fear I guess of not knowing whether I'm funny if I'm thin yeah of course uh, but then I, I never made fat jokes I was too embarrassed to, to ever it's only fairly recently actually that I can do that right really right. yeah I was always like no I don't want to draw anyone's attention to it but um, interesting I used to I... make jokes about later about the fact that I thought it was a secret yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just no one knows yeah if I didn't say anything they won't realise you know <laughs> so that was not what was keeping me fat fat jokes was not keeping me fat <laughs> right up. no right up. so that was that's my... not what how it's serving me but no. then that doesn't yeah, that doesn't explain the, the years before comedy. So I've only been doing comedy the last seven years. So for me, I think it has a lot of link to uh, love and family. So yeah. we, uh, my, there's the, the makeup of my family is there's mom and dad, my brother and me. My brother's five years older than me. Dad worked overseas. So I grew up with my mom and her whole family. And there was about 14 of us in the one house. Like, so it's wow. one big house. And also my religious dynamics weird, uh, which is that my dad is a Buddhist. My mom's a Muslim and they sent me to a Catholic school. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, but good old Catholics. They take anyone. I know. Right. Yeah. Right. I was. We were. That's. A, that was. A, it was interesting because Sri Lanka is a majority Buddhist country, but I at home would feel like a minority, and at school I'd feel like a minority, <laughs> and then I come to Australia, and lo and behold, I'm a fucking minority yeah. again. So I, uh, I, I found that when in that big family, there was a lot of. Love associated with food because my grandma was an amazing cook. Yeah. And even now, to date, when I go back to Sri Lanka, I try and see my parents maybe. To, uh, it used to be only once a year, but now I do it like three times a year because they're getting a bit older. I want to start seeing them a bit more often. And uh, and it's already planned as to what I'm going to eat. Oh, like what do, I, what do I eat when I land? What's, you know, what's on day two? Almost to a schedule. Yeah. We have, I have like a checklist of things that I need to hit. And... The amazing thing is realizing that I hit that point in the meal where I'm not satisfied by the food anymore. Yeah. But it's that weird fear to think, oh, I won't get this for another, for another six months. I better eat it. It, it, it makes no rational sense. And for yeah. someone who is listening to this who doesn't have that, it sounds so stupid just saying, just stop eating. I'm yeah. like, I know. Like, that's the thing. The yeah. burden of knowledge is so frustrating. And that fear is so real, though. I remember I just started a diet and I saw an ad for a white Kit Kat and I was like, fuck, man. <laughs> what if I never get to try that? You know right. what I mean? Just this right. real. This this weird thing. So when I quit, yeah. when I quit drinking, because, uh, you know, in comedy, there's so much booze around. Yeah. And uh, the first month was okay because I think I was still hungover from 11 years of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, then the second a few weeks into it, once I sort of got over it, it, it was still it started to become difficult to be around booze. And then when I would leave a gig, I'm like, well, all right, congrats. It's you know 12 a.m. and you still didn't drink. Congratulations. Go reward yourself with some ice cream. Oh, of course. And rather than just getting a magnum, I'd get like a pint of Ben and Jerry's and just finish the whole pint in the one go. And like knowing this is bad. This is you're replasing one with the other. And even if you're feeling a bit sick, it's like, yeah, but this is my reward. I have to finish it. 
something. There's something. I I don't know what. Whether I saw a cartoon or a movie, but there's something that I'm drawn to the idea of binge eating and passing out watching telly. <laughs> There's something that I love about that idea of being such a slob that I'm just lying on a couch watching a TV show. I'm sure I saw it somewhere that made it look cool. Yeah, yeah, that made it look romantic somehow. Maybe I read a lot of Asterix comics. That was a little obliques used to overeat. I used to, you know, maybe it was that. There's something weird. And and I've been seeing a therapist for the last, say, 10 months or so. And yeah, sure enough, it's our one kind of barrier that we can't quite crack into yet. We've discussed relationships and we've got a very clear idea as to what I want to do with relationships. My, my family we've discussed, uh, but the drinking we got over pretty quickly. Like it was one of those ones that I just was, had a very real purpose for why I'm not drinking. Yes. And it was affecting my career. It was respect, affecting my, the respect that I had for my peers. And I just was becoming something I didn't want to be. And it was affecting the thing I love the most, which is comedy, right? Yeah. So then I'm trying to now use all those lessons that I've had from, you know, learning about myself and not drinking to try and apply it to food. Yeah. And it's, and it's been a challenge because I fucking love it. Like I just, and again, going back to our mate Adam Richard, like whenever we catch up, it's he, he directed my show last year, mm-hmm. and our meetings were always at a cafe. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and we'd go through like three. Uh, we once were there for all three meals in one <laughs> sitting. Like he stopped eating after the second one, but yeah. I just kept going. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I tell you what's really disturbing, and uh, this is a very personal detail: is my daughter, who is nearly eight, has started saying to me lately, "I just love food." I just love eating. And I'm like, dude, I know, but how can I help you not get to where I am? Because it's not about sustenance anymore. No. It's something else. I've... And I she's mean, so honest. Like, luckily, she lives in a, nearly eight. Yeah. So it's, by the time I was her age, I was so shamed by my mum about being fat that right. there's no way I would have said that out loud. But she doesn't have that. So she's quite happy to say to me, oh, my God, eating is my favourite thing. Right, you know? right. So maybe that might be in a good way because then it's not this maybe. taboo thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I always feel like the more something is taboo and made to feel, like, naughty, yes. the more covered it is. And that's where the, the overdoing comes from that's what they talk about i think i've heard someone say that in in france you don't get a lot of you know teenage drinking because from an early age they start drinking wine with their family so that yeah. little tipsiness or whatever is slowly introduced yeah early on. whereas in australia uh, you know when you're 18 you just start going crazy after you or get before you know you got to sneak, sneak out, out you and be stuff sneaky. like that and in america it's even worse apparently with the 21 thing you yeah. know that's why in uni there's so much over drink or binge drinking yeah that's just something that someone said to me i don't know if that, any of that's true but well, I just, a, a counselor a counsellor said to me once, did you ever think maybe you're overweight as good old-fashioned rebellion against your mum? Very good. You know? I, I was about to bring this up. How are you with your – did they think right. you were a beautiful little fat kid? No. Or, oh, no, okay. I, I reckon there's a lot of stuff happening there that I've uh, – I, I, this is, again, thanks to stop, stop drinking, more meditating, all these mm-hmm. all these things that I used to turn my nose up to yeah. <laughs> uh, that I've started doing recently that I've tapped into this – I realised that – if my parents say positive or negative about my weight, whether I've put on or I've lost weight, it angers the shit out of Same. me. Same. Even if they go, oh, you look like you've lost a few. Right. Oh, I hate yes. it. You know what I'm thinking? So what my, my thinking is that because we're kids and we're used to 
we want them to like us for regardless of what we look because everything that they're saying we are thinking it tenfold yeah you know we're, yeah. when we're going whatever they feel, and you just want them to love you just unconditionally yeah. and the weight doesn't make a difference now for example uh i'm gonna throw him under the bus a little bit here okay but my dad uh he he has like next to his computer little photos of of, of my brother and me and all the photos of me are when I was a bit thinner or you can't see my double chin and stuff like that. And, uh-huh. and, it, and it, it, in this last year, I've realized how much it bums me out. And I've put a ban on them ever commenting on my uh, weight. Like even recently I sent uh, a really cool thing that happened to me. Uh, I can tell you. Yeah. It's, it's, it was uh, during the shooting of Utopia, uh, Working Dog, they did a thing for Harmony Week where they celebrate a particular, you know, each person brings their own cultural food or whatever. They do it differently where they pick one person from the group whose cultural background they haven't celebrated and they use that. So they pick Sri Lanka because of me. And it was this oh. amazing thing where they call all the catering with Sri Lankan food. They put like Sri Lankan flags up and balloons. And, and it was this really magical moment for me oh, because lovely. to think of this Aussie institution, the comedy institution that's so loved and respect that the first time they've had a Sri Lankan person yeah. in there and they're celebrating. It was this really big moment for me. And I really was like. And a moment of acceptance by these very deeply cool people. Right. Yes. Right. You know, just to, just to know. And also to know it's that massive. I'm doing my country proud. Yeah, you know totally. I mean? that, was, that was another really cool feeling. Yeah. So I took a, there was a photo of the whole cast with in front of that, and I and I sent it to my folks. And Dad's first comment was, "You look like you've lost a bit of weight." So rather than and I and I put the whole spiel as well. I put the whole thing of saying here, you know, here's the background to how important working dog is to yes. comedy. Here's, here's the things that they influenced me on, you know, because I was a huge fan of the castle. And yeah. I just given all the context to how cool this moment was and his first reaction, which is a positive one still. Yeah, so in his, in his head, he's just going, I'm saying something nice. Yeah. But to me, it says, oh, none of that matters. All that you came down to is whether you're thin or not, you know, yeah. or you look thinner or not. And that's what really stung and hurt. And I and that's when I put the ban on mom and dad ever commenting on anything good or bad. So they, they now know not to do it because it bums me out. So I reckon there's a lot of me uh, that is rebelling yeah. against that. It's that thing of going made to feel that, okay, if you're overweight, you're not attractive, you're not cool enough, you're not as lovable. And my show poster for last year was me in a pool without a shirt, like just bang out there. And I wow. know now in hindsight, subconsciously, I know that that would have pissed that off a lot. And there's a weird thing that I'm starting to think, I wonder if I did that just to to piss him off and to say, you may not like this, but I'm going to make heaps of money yeah. <laughs> from this. This is what my, now my, um, wow. you know, this is what is making me cool again. Yeah. And it's making me accepted. There's, right. there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who love me for this. Right. Totally. Totally. And wow. tell me this, do, do you feel that there is at times you go, I'm on fucking telly and I break all the, Stereotypes of what a woman on television. Totally. Is like. And you feel like a little bit of a bit of a pat on it, like you know, you feel. A yeah. Bit I, I have had, had that sense as well. A yeah. Bit going, I kind of don't fit the mold of what someone on television oh, yeah. might look like. When you're like. sitting next to Carrie Bickmore and you go, right. okay, Carrie is everything that women on TV should be in inverted commas. Right. Smart, funny. Yeah. Stunning, tiny. All of those things with her bare arms out and about, you know, and right, I think, right, oh, wow, yeah, right. I am I am everything that's not meant to be on TV. So I do feel good about that, right. yeah. And I reckon there's a lot of that, – that, that is another now reinforcing thing that will start. But there's subconsciously, uh, uh, you know, this is – you know, I'm never really thought this through, but I guess it will be that thing of going, I'll feel more powerful and more – 
you know, proving the motherfuckers wrong yeah. if I keep this up. Because you know I, mean? I think that people genuinely um, it, it displays a vulnerability, and I've always thought as a performer that vulnerability is what other people latch onto. That's yes. how you get fans, you yes. know, if you want to use that word. Like people start to love you as a performer if they see a vulnerability that they can really, really fight for you and feel totally. like, you know. And so I think when you're overweight on TV, there's a lot of people going, hey, good on you. Yeah, That's yeah. cool. I, I would say vulnerability is definitely powerful, but I think it's deep and I think it's honesty. Yeah. And I think that's what we lose in Australian culture with tall poppin syndrome. Yeah. Is we don't talk about the good times. We yeah. celebrate people's bad times and their sort of ability in spite of it. Whereas in the American culture where you have a lot of bravado and in hip hop and basketball and all these things, yeah. they love that. Why? Because it's honest. Yeah. It's true to who they are. And I think that's what people gravitate to. Mm. And and I and you know what, my man, I did my, my self deprecation was my forte. Like I really, because it was such a disarming factor. If you yes. make fun of yourself first, and it's again Australian to go, oh, he's taking the piss out of himself. Oh, what a what a, what a legend! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, then you know, then I'd be able to then talk about other issues and stuff. Whereas mm. this was the first year, I I was like, give yourself the challenge to not be high status by any means, but just you know, mm. don't be afraid to just be honest. Yeah. And tell your story as it is. Don't give excuses for why you're calling something out or why you're highlighting something. You know? Yeah. And I and I did, you know, so the, my show last year was all about fears, uh, mainly Islamophobia because of having a Muslim mom, but at the same time not really being a fan of religion in general and how that, you know, how I struggle with being okay with her being Muslim but not necessarily this idea, you know, and, and also – you know, the way people are treating Muslims at the minute, it's just hor- horrible. Or oh, not not people, but the vibe that's yeah. around some of the most, um, you know, as, uh, there's some of the most uh, people who need our help the most. Like uh, this friend of mine who's a Syri- genuine Syrian refugee. It's just I, I'm blown away mm. by how much people don't realize what his story really is. Where they yes. think they're coming for economic benefit. And he's yeah. like, no, we were millionaires. We were fine. We wanted to wow. stay. No one wants to leave your home. Like yeah. that's what people don't understand. That that desperate. I know. Nobody wants to leave their home. And nobody said certainly wants to put their child on a fucking leaky boat, mate. Exactly. That's what people don't get. Yeah. They're not doing this too uh, unless they absolutely – I tried to make a uh, – you know, talk about it in my show last year, which is that just to try and relate to the idea of us having to move house from Richmond to Brunswick. Yes. Like that's so stressful and you still have – you know, access to man with the van or whatever. Yeah. They don't even have bloke with the boat. Or, you know, and imagine <laughs> if you move from Richmond to Brunswick, Brunswick and you get to Brunswick and everyone's like, go back to fucking Richmond, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, so yeah. it's like, even, it's so strange. And no one would do it unless they absolutely have to. Anyway, but the point was that, you know, I talked about those fears and I, I did sort of, you know, balance it off by talking about my own issues with homophobia and how I moved through that to sort of give that idea that, you know, just because you are in that situation where you might not necessarily understand where this, you know, your bigotry might come from, it's, you are not, I'm trying to say that the the people who are Islamophobic aren't, my default position is to not think they're bad people. They're just trying to self-preserve. They're trying to, they're they're misguided as to what uh, being Muslim is and how having Muslim immigrants will affect their life and their safety of their family. Mm. You know, the classic Sonia Kruger incident where, you know, it was so... Dangerous, what she was saying, because she's someone of power, which is able to set that message across. But I do want to understand what she means. She's a, she's she's worried. afraid. There's too much link between being Muslim and and terrorism, even though statistically, this you know, yeah, they, they point towards the opposite, which yeah. is you know, the, the biggest threat to to a woman in Australia is another man, and it's a man the, she knows. Yeah, 
Yeah, and a man she was married to, uh, you know, in a lot of cases. I, I can relate to what you're saying about the homophobia because I grew up in a very racist environment. Right, right. And so uh, particularly against Aboriginal people. Now, did you feel like you were already countering that? Or yes. You, yeah, whereas, see, I felt like I was – I didn't, as in I was with the, what the school was telling me. Well, also, though, I had um, an Aboriginal friend in grade three. So I think that is, you know, what changes things for you is when, when you have this kind of abstract um, list of, of attributes that people tell you this is who these people are, this is who right. Aboriginal people are, but then you find yourself sitting next to this little girl who's funny, kind, sweet, and she becomes your best friend and suddenly you've got this other lens where you go, no, Sonia's what Aboriginal people are, right. not all this bullshit I hear at, you know, barbecues on the right. weekend with my parents' friends. Right. And so I guess you grow up, by the way, sorry. in Queensland. In- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Toowoomba, yeah. So I don't want you don't have to email me or send me Facebook messages. I'm not saying Queensland's racist, but in the 70s, where I grew up, up in in the social circle that we were in, there was jokes and horrible things about Aboriginal people all the time. So I'm assuming, though, as a young guy, you probably didn't hang out with gay people, or yeah, there was one kid in school who was, um, I guess, clearly gay from a very young age, and um, and we were fine until I think I can't remember one day he was. I can't remember what he did. Something, it just, I'm trying to think back. So this is 98. I think he spat on me or something like that. And, okay. I, and that really angered me. Yeah. It was not only just because he spat on me, which was like a, a thing, uh, you know, bad in itself, but because I knew he was like the other because he was not. More, you know, quote unquote normal. Yeah, that it angered me even more. There yeah. was something about that. that a bit that sort I, of how dare you of all people spit on me? Something like that. Yeah. Yes, totally. totally yeah. Something like that. And I remember trying to chase him because I was fat. I couldn't catch him. <laughs> <laughs> but we were like twelve, thirteen at this time, right? And we, you know, our sex ed class was clearly where they said this is a bad thing. If you feel any of these thoughts, let us know. We'll pray for you and blah blah blah. So, wow. and these are people you look up to and respect. Yeah, you know. And I think, like, I, I never had malicious. Like, I always think of myself as someone who tries to be compassionate. So I don't think I ever had, like, you know, anger against, um, you know, people who weren't heterosexual. But I definitely would be comfortable making inappropriate jokes and definitely feeling uncomfortable around them. Um, yeah. And then I think it was being, I think, once I came to Australia, it was a bit more open. Um that it was just realized, oh, it's just my own issue. This is just me that has, and I was just, I was just told the wrong thing. Yeah. You know, that idea of uh, it being a perversion rather than something you've been born. That's what was in my head. Yeah. And I've had to re-educate my parents uh, since, and they're, they're, you know, they're, 
pretty much get it now as well. But there was someone as well who would probably see it more as a uh, something that, you know. A defect. A defect, something. That it was, again, it would be more like sympathy. Almost going, oh, you know. Oh. Kind of, well, it's so unfortunate that they have those feelings or whatever, rather than going, yeah, it's just what they are. You yeah. Know I mean? So that's where we would come from. But when you came of, back from Australia with those ideas, were they like, mm, here we go. Uh, Australia teaching him funny ideas. No, 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 okay. no, no. They're pretty. I mean, given the fact that they themselves, you know, mom and dad, it was quite controversial being a Buddhist person and a Muslim. Oh, was woman. it? Oh, yeah. They had to elope and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, oh. totally. There, my brother, my my uncles were very uh, much. My mom had two brothers, and they were very much against this idea that she was even making eyes at a Sinhalese man. Oh, and, wow. Uh, you know, they they eloped, and uh, you know, and then of course, like when dad was away, these uncles became my father figures. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, and it's just amazing to think that they were the enemy at one point, and now yeah. they're like getting carried around by them and yeah. stuff like that. And it's it's really bizarre how things can turn around. And again, it's that thing of just understanding and, yeah. and you know just realizing everyone's. It's so cliched, but it's so fucking true. It's well, as soon as it's part of your life, then it becomes normal. I did have grandma who was still struggling with it. She struggled with it. She's passed away now, but um, she she would say things to me like you know. When I was small, she was like, oh, because you grew up in our house as a non-Muslim, I have to go to hell. Oh, <laughs> no. And you're like an eight, ten-year-old who's oh. hearing that from your grandma who's saying that. And she would constantly try to say to me, you know, you realize blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. That yeah. she's going to hell because. That she's going to hell, yeah. Of you. And the joke I made about, you know, on stage was that I talk about having a massive ego. And I'm like, of course I have an ego <laughs> because I have some woman who loved me in spite of hell being the option. <laughs> like, can you imagine how cute and adorable I must have been if, she, if I was worth going to hell for? Like, yeah. So, but I, um, you know, so, yeah, all those things where they were pretty open-minded in itself. So I think, you know, I had a Aussie girlfriend who went back to Sri Lanka. They had no issues with that. Beautiful. Um, you know, and even now with, you know, just uh, I think the same-sex marriage discussion happened like December a couple of years ago and you know they ought to first were like no no I get it it's fine but I just don't understand why they need to get married is that thing and then you know I think I was able to rationally talk them into understanding why that is uh, a, a denial of someone's right or denial of them being equal and that's why that's a problem yeah and so they get there which actually I you know you always sort of think maybe they could understand on a much more fundamental level, actually, if, if mm. people fought against their love, you know, and yes. thought their love was yes. weird and wrong. This is what's so fascinating about this uh, this horrible, horrible thing we're going yeah. through at the moment with the, the debate is seeing people who I was like, oh, man, like, wh- wh-, you know, I think there was a mixed race couple that was against it. Yeah, it's like, frustrating. <sighs> wasn't there, wasn't uh, Lee Sales talking to, like, uh, two gay men who were against it? Yeah. Yeah, What's they're going out. On there? They're out there. You can find them if you look hard enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely <laughs> some like, people are just contrarians, man. Some yeah. people are just like whatever. Whatever the go is, I'm going to be the opposite. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's 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 so interesting because I I'm so far. I would say personally, like you know, it, it's an issue that doesn't directly affect me, but it's bumming me out so much, and I can't even imagine how bad it would feel yeah. if you are someone who identifies uh, as as um, you know not hetero. Does Dilrick experience racism in his comedy audiences? Well, we'll find out after this. Coming up on the Nitty Gritty Committee, I will admit to Dilrick that I am very, very jealous of him and why that is. But first, racism in Dilrick's comedy audiences has an unexpectedly upsetting effect on him. 
this is another thing I grappled with this year was that realizing that racists actually do like me and I don't know what I'm doing that is appeasing that mm. sensibility. It's like I've had someone say to me, you're one of the good ones and things like that. And I, and I'm like, what am I a sellout? Like what happened? What am I, what am I doing that is misrepresenting the average international student or whatever. Yeah, who are the bad ones? I don't understand yeah. what the bad ones are doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you the know? guy was referring to like bored people versus me coming <sighs> here legally and all that stuff, not realizing right. that in that situation I'm quite privileged. I'm lucky that my parents paid for everything from my, you know, education to rent and as I say on stage for food, which no one expected was the highest <laughs> expense. <laughs> <laughs> so are they quite well off your parents? Uh, we are now. I would mm-hmm. say that when we started, we were not. Uh, that's why Dad had to go overseas to work. It was not uh, – he did it for us, which I always carry a fair bit of guilt about uh, because I feel like he didn't retire until I finished uni. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I carry the guilt is because I didn't apply myself at uni as well as I should have. Oh. Um, I got introduced to uh, – as again, um, you know, beer and white women. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, and we'll get you every time. Yeah, we will. Yeah, and it's just like it, 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 this brings us back to where we started, which was when it's something is made to believe as taboo, or you know, you covered it more. So I never drank as much in Sri Lanka. Um, you know, I didn't go out. It was not a clubby guy. I'd maybe done one or so twice with some friends, got a bit drunk here and there, but it was not. It was a thing my parents because my brother never did it. If my brother never did it, I didn't have. To, I shouldn't do it. That was the, the the one of the things that I've learned from therapy recently is that yeah. how much I uh, my my confidence or lack thereof comes from having an older brother who had set the blueprint for a, a, the good student, the model student, uh-huh. which uh, which again subconsciously I had to rebel against. Yeah, uh, because yeah. I, as a second child, you just want to be different, and even if it's at your own detriment, you still yeah. do it. Uh, so I want like my my rebellion with things like drama club and scrabble club. <laughs> <laughs> But that was so different to my brother's straight edge book, book, book. That's all he did. Like yeah. you know, I have a, I have, I have difficulty read, not reading. I don't, I would. Let me rephrase that. I, I have difficulty enjoying reading books because it was thrust upon me as a kid yeah. rather than coming into it organically. My, my brother loved reading. My mom loved reading. And they're like, why don't you want to read? And they would force me to read stuff. I'm like, I just, for whatever reason, I don't want to read. Let me watch telly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's this running joke about they used to all, like mom and my brother would tease me saying that my spellings are bad or whatever and it, it, it we always laugh that whenever we play scrabble and boggle and any word games i'd always win and i'd always because i'm a yeah my my hobby after my passion after comedy is is crosswords yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love crosswords yeah, yeah. cryptic crossword is the only one i can do i can't do oh the really yeah, I, I can't do cryptics see i can't wow. do the straight ones for okay me, my brain doesn't go you know another word for say studio i yeah. can't think automatically but with the cryptic you get a bunch of other clues that come yeah. along with it so i'm able to do cryptics but I can't do. In fact, I'll show you. Wow, this. that's weird. It's weird. I walk around here with like oh, a pocket different... full of crosswords yeah. Yeah. at the paper. That's so old school, yeah, man. I go, to, I go to a cafe and I steal it every morning. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I the same cafe for the last year and a bit. And at some point, a year and a half ago, someone said it was okay, and I just kept doing it. I don't think that person even works there anymore. But I, still... I don't think anyone else wants them, though, babe. Yeah, I, I really so. I don't so. think. I hope so. It's fine. But I, wow. I do find it funny how those little things, again, through therapy, I found out have informed so many things that I am doing, like ended up doing. So with my, for example, university, like I said, I feel carried that guilt because I didn't apply myself as well as I could have because I was a straight-A student. I had all the top grades. I, I would get upset if I didn't get 100% on maths because that was like the one exam I knew I can bloody nail. Wow. Because it, it, it's 
I always think about this. I used to love maths and hate anything in the arts because I hated any subject that the mood of the examiner or their opinion changed yes. my grade. Yes. Whereas in mathematics, two plus two will always equal yeah, four. Yeah, you're right. And I love that. And I can't believe I ended up in an industry <laughs> which is purely opinion-based. Yeah, I can't and, believe either. And, I, and I've been struggling a little bit, I guess, in terms of this is the first year and a bit that I've sort of had a bit more of a public profile. And, and I always thought I'd be better at dealing with uh, online uh, hate. Yeah. And it's been funny how I've sort of gone, oh, okay, that actually did stick. I find it frustrating when it doesn't make sense. Like you're saying, when it's not mathematical, it's not logical. When someone goes, oh, I hate your podcast because it's not well-researched. And I go, get fucked. <laughs> that's the worst, you know. That's the worst bit. Things like that where you know that is not fair and not true. Yeah. And you can't ring them up and say. Well, mine is almost like sometimes I'm angry on behalf of someone else. I, yeah. Um, I had a friend who was telling me that a very famous comic, I don't know, who cares, or Dave Hughes, yep. they're like, oh, Hughes is not funny. I'm like, you, you are objectively wrong because I said, you, okay, but I said phrase it differently. You don't think Hughes is funny. Yeah. That's fine. I'll give you that. Yeah. But you can't make a broad statement like that about the biggest selling comedian <laughs> no. in the country because yeah, that's objectively you're wrong. Like yeah. statistics would prove. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, the, but But – it is that thing as well. I, I try to give him the analogy of, of like food. Say you're not a fan of pasta or Italian food. You don't go into an Italian restaurant and yell, this is not food, and then walk out. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just not food for you. It's just something that yeah. you don't enjoy. And that's fine if you don't. That's fine. There are enough of people who do love Totally. It. There are certainly big acts that I don't understand why people like them, but I have to go, I don't know, they're totally, doing something. Totally. And, there's a, there's a, and, and this scene, one of the things that I've learned, because uh, I do every room, I, I don't – I'm obsessed with comedy. I love it too much. It's it's almost, I think, a problem now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where I can't not say yes to a gig or can't not oh, that's do a great. gig. It's one, one of the things, again. Because I, I know what you mean. Like, as a comedian, sometimes you might go through a phase where when I was younger, I was like, yeah, I do every room because you yeah. learn something from every room. And then when I got a bit older, I got lazy and thought, nah, I'll just do the ones I like. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I, yeah. there's Whereas, something to be said for both, I think. Totally. totally. And it's each of their own. And I just happen to find something that I would pay money to do. Great. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's blowing my mind that it's working the other way. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, one of my, um, well, there's an, a clear, actually a very clear example of that that happened was uh, back in 2012. So I'd started 2010, September 2010 is when I first started comedy. 21st oh, wow. of September is my first gig. And, um, you know, two years later, whatever, w- uh, Will Anderson was one of the biggest reasons I got into stand up. So it was listening to Hamish Nandy on the radio <laughs> while I was in accounting that made me think about something else. Wow. And Will was the kind of the reason why I gravitated to a stand up. I mean, I'd seen Eddie Murphy and stuff like that, but Will was the first sort of actor. I think it was a, he was, he was the first ever live actor I saw. And immediately afterwards, back to back shows was Will. Oh, wow. And, what a night. I know, totally. Right? Yeah. It was great. And, uh, and Will was someone who was a sense of humor or style or whatever, something about it that I felt like I was like that at parties because I wasn't a character. I couldn't do voices. Yeah. I couldn't do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, impersonations or anything. Whereas Me some, neither. So yeah. with, with the way he did it, I was like, oh, maybe maybe I can do it. It sounds like an insult. I look at no, the biggest comic no, and I go, no. I reckon I can do that. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I was, uh, and I'd never missed a show of his since then. That was back in 2006 when I first saw him. Wow. And so when he was uh, doing a show, the, uh, usually just the melt. Melbourne show, and then he announced a run of gigs at the Comics Lounge in North Melbourne, November, November, which is 
usually quite, you know, he doesn't do. And I was really excited that he was going to be at this room where I performed my first ever gig at was in, at the Comics Lounge on a Tuesday in front of 20 people yep. in a big 500-seater. So you can imagine how that gig <laughs> went. And, um, I've been to those gigs, yeah. And I was so excited. I bought a ticket. I got a ticket for the, 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 the final night show, and I was really excited in the lead-up. The idiot that I am, though, I hadn't didn't check my voicemail, and his management had asked me if I wanted to open for him. No way! So I'm like, it was a three-week-old message, and I'm calling, to, uh, you know, the, the, to desperately seeing if I can get. And, you know, after a couple of calls, I managed to get through the person. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah you can still do it. Oh, and I was wow! Like, so it blew my mind that this thing that I literally paid money to watch, all of a sudden I'm yes. part of the part and comedy is great that way yeah from the very early gigs you can find yourself on a bill with people you idolize totally yeah totally and it's so this is what people my my peers make fun of me um including i'm at adam richard about how much i still love comedy and i sit in the crowd if i even if i don't have a gig on that night i'll go watch or i'll you know that yeah and it's a running joke about me that uh, you know that I still love watching. And and everyone kept telling me that it's going to go away. The, yeah. The gloss of it's going to go away. But it hasn't happened yet. That's and amazing. I, and I was just like, and it's those moments, though, for me that I always go, that's what keeps me so excited and motivated about all this all because um, – I used to spend like five, six hundred bucks at the festival each year, and all of a sudden I get to be part of it. And you know, I think always think of it as playing. I get to play with these people that yeah. I, I like. Even even filming Utopia, I had a really trippy moment when I first saw Kitty Flanagan in character because <laughs> I was like, "Oh, sh- Rhonda's here!" You know? <laughs> like, yeah. So it, it, those are the things that always get me all like really chuffed about what I do. That's and awesome. I, you've uh, you've maintained the gratitude somehow for such a long time, and you're right. Most of us are not able to do that, <laughs> but I'm. Just Jealous. Do you, do you reckon you, you you miss any part of live performance? Yeah. Um, yeah. I miss you still that. Go to show. I still see you at shows. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that powerful feeling. Because um, people talk a lot about how great you were as a host. You'd apparently just. Be, I did love to MC. Yeah. yeah. As an MC, no one would fuck with you. No. And, and it, I felt and like I it really, was. I really, really want to see that. Like, so, as, a, as a fan, I was like, oh, I wish there was. There's no. Yeah. Footage of any of that? <laughs> no, I mean, in those days, you had to pay people thirty thousand dollars to come and film your right, show. Right, totally. No, it's and just now, on your phone. <laughs> now it's on your phone, and everyone's got a DVD. Do you? So, do you? Do you have that itch at all? I do. I do. I do. I'm sure I will get back to it soon because now that I'm not doing breakfast radio any, anymore, right. you know, as of a couple of weeks from now, it's definitely on the. The schedule hard. I guess it, it becomes difficult once you start, you know, having other projects that, uh, you know. I like, feel like once you've got a home life, you love. It makes doing stand-up harder. That's interesting. That's interesting because yeah. I, I attribute a lot of my drive and passion to the fact that that if I wasn't doing that, I'd be at home, you know, just watching telly. Playing Scrabble. Yeah. No, well, no one Not even. Scrabble Oh, with. yeah, exactly. That's, you're so right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. as soon as – oh, You know what I'd be? I'd be in a bucket of chicken watching, <laughs> yeah. watching Netflix. That's what yeah. I've been doing. Yeah, so watching guess, other people do stand-up. So – Totally. I think that's when it changes. I think when you get a partner and you get a great home life going on and maybe you get a dog and you have a baby and suddenly the idea of getting up at 7.30 at night and getting ready to go out is a real drag. Whereas before that, it was like schoolies week all year round, just hanging out with my mates and drinking and... That's another thing I've heard, what will happen or what happened to you guys was you guys were all tight, you know, new comics and then everyone started becoming successful so you stopped being on each other's bills at the same time. Yes! You're the headliner but then everyone else before that is the next generation so you don't get to play with your pals as much anymore. No. And it becomes more of a job job. 
It that, does. That point. And, and, and then also know. people get job jobs. Then the next thing yeah. you know, someone's on radio, someone's on TV, someone, and you sort of start to think, oh, shit, am I, should I be doing that? I, I need. And then I, I started to feel like unsuccessful because right. my friends had media jobs and I didn't. So that really um, fucked with my yeah, yeah. psychology for a long time. I heard you speak to Mark Maron about this, that yes. idea about resenting other people's success or your peers' success. Have he you... said the best thing when he said, you know, we have to understand that other people's success is not my failure. They're not the same thing. Totally. And I totally thought that for a and, long time. And do you, do you have strategies now that you, you used to uh, to try and go move, navigate through those? Do you I, still have those feelings? No, I just focus on that a lot. I yeah. focus on, hang on a minute, this has got nothing to do with me. Their success is not my failure just because they're doing something that would be a dream for Josh Thomas is moving to America to make a new TV show, you know, right, a couple of yeah. years ago that would have hurt me somehow. Yes. And now I go, why? That's his life. That's not my life. But Yeah. My brother you know. told me something interesting, which he read somewhere. So it's not an original thought of his, but in terms of envy and resentment, it's sort of that uh, there's two things you need to go through or rather he started to do, which is you, the two questions you ask. First of all, you need to realize that if you want, if you look at someone else's thing that they've got that you want, yeah. you have to acknowledge that they got there because they went through all the shit yes. that they did. So not only have you have got to live their entire life, all the bad shit that they went yep. through, that's you have to go through that to get that specific thing that you're looking at. Yep. And secondly, that also means that you have to forego all the good things you had in your life. Yeah. So are you willing to, you know, do you want to miss out on this wonderful family holiday that you had? That well, actually, thing? now that you mention it, I mean, working on Utopia is one for me and I'm sure a lot of other comics. Like, I've never, ever been asked to do anything for Working Dog. And, right. I mean, same. I grew up with them. I worshipped them. I love them so much. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so, for me, that is a hard one where I have to go, oh, okay. I think to myself, oh, okay, they don't like me, but... And I don't mean personally, sure, sure, you know, sure. I just mean, okay, then they're not into me and that hurts. Even saying it now hurts, right. but it has to be okay because other people do and I'm really lucky that I'm on the project every Friday night and right. they like me, you right. know what I mean? Right, right. I feel like I've, you know, in a way, what, 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 lack of a better phrase, lucked out with some of the things that has happened. Yeah, no, but way. it's because of who you are and because of what you do and it fits for them and they saw it and they liked it. And so, right. you know, in the past I would have gone, fucking who's this kid he's been around five seconds i should be on there it should be me you know that's how i would have reacted 10 years ago when i'm in a funk i almost go through a bit of a ritual in a way which is reminding myself that even as bad as this feel i'm crying like i'm literally have a specific memory of crying into some like pasta that i'm cooking (laughs) and i'm like this sucks this really hurts but know that you've dealt with shit in the past and you've got through. Yeah. So just reminding myself that I, I will get through it, even though I don't know how yet, yeah. is the first feeling of like relief going, okay. we're gonna be. And then the second thing is weirdly gratitude. Just see, I, I once listed, literally took a notebook out and wrote like, oh, sorry, the back of an envelope, I remember, and wrote out everything that I'm grateful for. I do that, for, yeah. Starting with, oh my God, I have legs that work. I'm able to write using my both hands. And those are, and when you buy, the time you're done maybe take four minutes five minutes you feel better because <laughs> and it's and i think we also do live in an industry that thrives on cynicism a little bit it's fun to be um you know naughty we're we're, yeah. we're the we're we're the back of the room 
uh, kids. Don't you always think one. if people could hear how comedians make each other laugh, <laughs> oh, my God, we would be uh, driven out of the country. Oh, my God. They totally. would think we were the worst totally. human beings and you have ever met. another thing that has kind of ruined oh. a bit of my real mates for me because oh, yeah. it's like I say things now to them that make them go, whoa, still. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, sorry, wrong wrong crowd. And all the flip side is that they're, they're, they're you know, they're not as interesting as the funniest people in the country. I know, I know. Unfortunately or fortunately, I get to play with on a nightly basis. How spoiled are we? Right. That is the lovely and hilarious Dilrick Jayasinha. You should totally Google Dilrick and find out where he's performing. He travels around the country performing a lot and he is a fantastic stand-up comedian. So you should get on board and see that for yourself. Thank you so much for downloading the Nitty Gritty Committee. May I also suggest you download my other podcast, Australian True Crime. I do that one with crime writer Emily Webb. And that one is about uh, trying to figure out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. We speak to lots of retired homicide detectives and families of victims. Always an interview on that podcast and always a fascinating human story. Thanks so much. We'll be back with another Nitty Gritty next Monday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.